Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Welcome, boys and girls, to the second-to-last episode of FCS Speculators, a betting podcast. Ryan Tutel along with you, as always. Colton Nuanas will be along here shortly. And this is going to be a little bit of a different episode, a fun episode, but there's only two games left, people, that we got to pick here. The North Dakota State-Montana State games and the James Madison-Weber State game, uh, two national semifinals. And so we'll set this up for you how we're going to do this. First of all, Coulter and I, we're just going to have a couple of conversations with two guys who cover each of the teams. Coulter and I are pretty embedded in the Big Sky Conference, so we'll uh, help you out with Montana State and Weber State uh, in the course of the conversation. Conversation, but we will talk with Jeff Colhane, who is the play-by-play and voice of the North Dakota State Bison on the uh, radio. So we'll talk to him about the Montana State-North Dakota State game. And then Greg Medea back on the podcast. He is the beat writer uh, covering James Madison University there in North Central Virginia, Harrisonburg specifically. And uh, we will uh, talk to him about, obviously, the James Madison-Weber State game. So that's how we will do it, two kind of just long-form open conversations uh, with three guys who hopefully between the three of us will have good information, good knowledge for you to get you ready for these national semifinals. Finals, always a great time of year. Before we get to those uh, interviews, though, let's take a look at what happened this last week uh, in the uh, in the quarterfinals of the uh, national playoff. First of all, James Madison, they did not cover their 19.5-point spread that they were favored over Northern Iowa, but they did win in resounding fashion nonetheless 17-0, which if you hold your opponent to zero, that means you win by a lot no matter what the score is. Uh, so 17-0, Northern Iowa actually does cover the game, but James Madison moving on. Montana State, they were a 7-point favorite over Austin P. They won 24-10. Austin P. didn't score till a touchdown until the fourth quarter uh, on, uh, on a on a broken play, but Montana State dominant both sides of the ball, running the ball defensively. They win 24-10, move on to uh, take on NDSU. Weber State, they were a three-point underdog. They won by seven, namely on a blocked punt and five 
interceptions of uh, Montana quarterback Dalton Sneed with a block punt for a touchdown. Also a huge play in that game. Weaver State a 17-10 winner in the snow and rain in Ogden, Utah uh, over Montana. And finally, North Dakota State. They were the worst team, according to the spread, but they win their 14th in a row this season. 9-3, not a touchdown scored against Illinois State, but they uh, win 9-3. They win by 6. They did not win, notably, by 24.5, which was what they were favored by. So there you go. There you have it, the setup. North Dakota State, Montana State, and James Madison Weber State in the national semifinals. Well, happy to welcome into the penultimate episode of FCS Speculators, a betting podcast, Greg Medea. Greg, thanks so much for being with us again. Tell the people who you are, who you write for, who you cover. Yeah, I cover James Madison for the Daily News Record in Harrisonburg. You can read all the stories, dnronline.com. And yeah, getting ready for, for another another playoff game this weekend. Well, Greg, we're going to get into this with you on the, on the playoff game against Weber State. An exciting game it's certainly going to be. But let's go back to uh, this past week and a win against Northern Iowa. 17 nothing, absolutely dominant defensively. But Northern Iowa, a very good defensive team, gave James Madison some pressure, gave him some difficulty offensively, scored that last touchdown there kind of a little later on in the game. So this was a, a, a two-score game through a good portion of it. What did you see out of, uh, out of the Dukes in this football game against against you and I. Yeah, I think starting with the defense, it was, like you said, just a dominant, dominant performance beginning with how they stopped the run, held Northern Iowa to zero rushing yards. Anytime you do that, that's a pretty impressive performance. And I think when you look at how that kind of manifested itself, it begins with Rondell Carter, John Daka, that defensive line the Dukes have. Rondell Carter had a tackle for loss in the game, and John Daka had two sacks. He's got seven and a half sacks in his last four playoff games dating back to last year. So they've done a really nice job up front defensively. The Dukes, Mike Green, one of the defensive tackles, also had a sack in the game. And then you, you kind of look at the linebacker, Dimitri Holloway, who I think kind of set the tempo for JMU and that win over Northern Iowa, making a real tough tackle on a third and short uh, Northern Iowa's opening possession, stopped the running back and and then from there, it really looked like Northern Iowa couldn't do anything offensively. And then you look at the flip side, not the prettiest performance for, for the offense, but I think that enough to help the defense out in a game where they were kind of playing perfectly. JMU controlled time of possession for more than 42 minutes of the game. So it, it, kind of an unbelievable number there while picking up 13 first downs on, on 24 third down attempts. So I think they did enough. They didn't score the points. They had a couple of turnovers in the red zone. Ben DiNucci threw an interception at the goal line. Which you don't you don't want to see that if you're a JMU fan uh, if, if if you know if you're if you're looking for them to score more points like they did in the second round win over Monmouth but to me overall really good performance really strong performance led by the defense of course I know the defense for James Madison starts with their two headline making DNs and you, you talked about both of those guys Greg but was that a priority in recruiting and and what have you thought of the, the development and now complete and utter dominance of Rondell Carter and John Daka. Yeah, so Carter, his recruitment goes back to when he was a, a transfer from Rutgers. He was looking for a different place to play. And his brother, his older brother, was a standout special teamer for JMU on the 16 and 17 teams that went to the national championship. Uh, really, really good player, Robert Carter Jr. in his own right. A big part of those you know championship-bound teams for, for JMU. And, you know, Rondell wanted to play with his brother, so left Rutgers, came to JMU, and, 
has really turned into a nice player. He, he was a rotational player in 17, his first year with the team, and then a starter last year, and you know has morphed into an NFL prospect, All-American type of player for, for them this year. And, and Daka, he's always had the speed, always had the ability to get to the quarterback. It was just kind of becoming a, a, about becoming more of a complete player, and he's done that the past two seasons really as, as a starter. And you look this year, last year, back-to-back double-digit sack seasons at, at 10-plus last year. is up to 16-and-a-half this season with, with a game, maybe two games left to go for, for JMU. It's, it's, it's become a nice duo. And you can't forget about the guys in the middle, Mike Green and Adiba Tarawa, because those two are very good in their own right. Green has you know seven-plus tackles from the defensive tackle position, which is tough to do. You think seven-plus tackles, that's more defensive end-type numbers, but He's done a good job as well. Nearly came up with a, a safety uh, toward the end of the game against Northern Iowa. So that whole defensive front, it just creates real huge problems for opposing offensive lines. I heard you know opposing CAA coaches say it throughout the regular season, and now you hear some of these coaches that haven't seen it, haven't been uh, you know aware of it until they play JMU, and they're kind of blown away. I know Rondell Carter deserves to be on the Buck Buchanan ballot, but then you look at the numbers and John Daka actually has way more sacks. So what do you think of just the dichotomy of one guy being one of the three finalists for National FCS Defensive Player of the Year when actually he's not even the leading sack guy on his team? Yeah, I know. It, it is kind of interesting. I have votes for a couple different All-American teams and, and the Buchanan Award also. I put Daka and Carter both on the first team All-American uh, things that I that I had a vote for. Uh, as far as Buchanan, I had I had Carter you know, at the top of my ballot because of what he did the regular season. If you looked at the regular season, the numbers were closer, and I think Rondell Carter had more tackles for loss at the end of the regular season. So maybe that's why you're seeing it kind of trickle out this way. And what Dak has done in the postseason is pretty incredible uh, with four in his last, you know, four and two playoff games. So maybe that's why it's a little head-scratching to people. But they're both very good players, and, and they understand what each other does for them. Because there'll be weeks where Rondell Carter will get double teamed by an opposing offense, by, by an opposing offensive line. They'll, you know, use a tackle and then obviously uh, a chipping tight end or a running back on Carter. And then there'll be other weeks where, where Daka gets that attention. So I think they understand how they benefit from one another. Both terrific players. Greg Medea in here on the FCS Speculators podcast with us. He covers JMU football for uh, the Daily News Record there and. Let's talk about this matchup against Weber this week here, Greg, because this is a team that uh, these two faced up two years ago and it looked for all the world for about 58 minutes of that game like Weber State was going to pull the upset, and then James Madison found a way at the end and got it done. But there's still, you know, obviously both coaches, or uh, Weber State's coach, Jay Hill, but also a lot of players that were at least partially involved in that game that will be playing in this one. Is there any thing coming out of that matchup two years ago that you think has anything to do with what happens on Saturday? I think JMU from that game has as much respect for Weber State as any team they've played since. I'll just put it that way. Is that The Dukes have immense, immense respect for what Jay Hill's done. They understand the physicality that's going to be needed to win this game. They understand how fundamentally sound they'll have to be on special teams to win this game. Jay Hill does great things, special teams, you know, going back to his uh, days as a special teams guy for Urban Meyer. So I, I think JMU completely understands the task at hand, and, and you mentioned it. You know, it was kind of a, a classic game, at least in JMU history for sure, because uh, if you think back to that 2017 run of the championship, 
uh, to, the, to the national championship game for JMU. It's, it's one of the more memorable moments with Ethan Ratke kicking up game-winning field goals. Time expired as they what, erased an 11-point deficit with, with two-plus minutes to go. It's one game that, that truly stands out. I think from it, you just draw, if you're, if you're JMU player, and this is what I've heard this week after – you know, and after they beat Northern Iowa, is that if it's Weber, you know, they, they know what they're in store for. You know, there's no looking ahead to a possible another championship game appearance. It's all it's all focused on Weber State. You know, it's interesting though too. I mean, having the respect going back a couple years is is great, but also Weber, as great as they are, and they are outstanding defensively, and as great as they are, and they are outstanding on special teams. They have not been a great offensive team, at least in terms of just sheer production. Now they've had some times this season where they've done it, but especially against a defense like James Madison, I would think the Dukes would have a fair amount of of confidence on that on that side of the ball, at least to be able to keep this a relatively low scoring game. Is that is that something that you sense out of this team for, for sure I, I think they're expecting you know a similar style game to what northern iowa was last friday night i think they're, they're expecting to come in it'd be low scoring it'd be a grinded out type game and if the offense needs to run the ball and have 50 plus carries to control time of possession then they, they can do that to keep the defense fresh and on point you know so i, I think jmu is is certainly expecting that and I, I think most people should should certainly expect that when you look at what weber state's got on defense which with Jonah Williams, the co-Big Sky Defensive Player of the Year, and, and just how many experienced guys they have on that side of the ball. So, to me, I, I think JMU com- really understands, and I, I said it already, but I, I think they really understand the task at hand. On the other side, uh, how does JMU's offensive line match up against Weber State? Because you mentioned Jonah Williams, but also Adam Rodriguez was a menace last week, four sacks, and now that he's fully healthy, he's one of the best pass rushers in the country. So, uh, what do you think of just the matchup between James Madison's offensive line and Weber State's defensive front? Yeah, for sure. Good, good question. For sure, I, I, I think it's one that's very similar to Northern Iowa last week. It's something Kurt Signetti too said Monday during his press conference was that Ellerson Smith was a challenge. But this time, you know, Weaver State has two defensive ends that can play at that level, kind of similar to how DACA and Carter operate. And Jamie's offensive line—they've been pretty good all season long. They have an All-American in Liam Fornado at right tackle, and they do have some experience veterans on that offensive line that were part of championship runs in 16 and 17. Mac Patrick, the center, Jahi Jackson, the guard. So to me, I, I think they'll be okay. They, they may give up a sack here or there. I think the most important part of it is for them is, is communication. They spoke about it last week and, and how important it was for them to be able to adapt to whatever Northern Iowa showed, whether it was a three-down front, four-down front. They'll have to do the same this week just to kind of point out where, where these two defensive ends for Weber State are, how they're going to block them, at where the protection is going to slide from play to play, and to keep Ben DiNucci clean. I think he got hit a little bit uh, in that game last week against Northern Iowa. He told me afterward he felt fine, but he was a little frazzled by, by one of the shots he took early in the game. So I, I think they got to keep DiNucci clean if they, if they want him to play the way he has throughout the majority of the season. Greg, uh, when it comes to FCS football, if you want to make your mark, you got to go to Fargo or you got to go to Harrisonburg. Those are the two places where it's got to be done. And Weber State has been sort of on the cusp and wants to be that national brand. And Jay Hill's pushing to do it, but you got to get it done in the playoffs against either James Madison or NDSU. This week, James Madison is a 15 and a half point favorite over Weber State. And obviously, the national brand that is JMU is just a cut above basically everybody else at the FCS level, but when you look at this, it's a two-versus-three matchup in the country right here. This is everything that you want in a national semifinal. What do you see in terms of how this game plays out, and especially against what's a pretty big number if it's going to be two really good defenses going at it? 
Yeah, I think JMU's covered in all all but twice this year. I'd, I'd have to look exactly, but I know they've covered most of the games this year. I, I don't know if it'll be as comfortable uh, this, this week for, for JMU. They they know they're in for for a steep challenge, and I'm sure they're there. I haven't spoken to the, to the Weber State players and, and Jay Hill yet that, I, that I'm supposed to speak with later on. But to me, I, I would think there's players there that are upset about a couple of years ago as right. well and want to be that team that gets to the championship. It's their first semifinal. They can get a championship appearance for the first time. I'm sure, like you said, they, they want to kind of set a new standard there at Weber State that it's been building for because Jay Hill's done such a great job there. So I, I don't know if it'll be as comfortable. I think it'll come down to, to you know whether or not JMU's defense will – completely shut down Weber State if Weber State's offense can do enough to hang around with JMU because if JMU's defense played like they did this past Friday, I don't know if there's anybody that can beat them that's left. You know, do we know, Coulter, whether Rashid Shahid is he going to be back for this game? He I mean, hasn't been back since – I mean, he started nursing an injury early, and he has not been back. He got hurt again the in the Montana game. game, and he has not been back, so I doubt it. The first Montana game, not, first Montana not last game, week. He didn't play in the playoffs. So he's obviously, you know, a major part, one of the top uh, kick returners and punt returners in the country if he's there. But uh, are there any uh, injuries that we should know about for James Madison that people need to be aware of if they're, you know, thinking about this game from a uh, from a perspective standpoint, shall we say? Yeah, like I said, Danucci took a shot the other day that yeah. that was tough, and then he said he was a little rattled, but he'd be fine uh, for this week. Uh, you know, I'm about to go over to practice and and see how they're doing, but I, I think I think they'll be fine. Jamie, you know, for for all things considered, and Jamie fans would hate me saying this out loud, they've been pretty healthy this year. Uh, I know Percy Ajay took a couple of bruises, the running back in the game last week, but there really hasn't been anything major other than Latrell Palmer, one of the running backs that have played earlier in the season. Uh, maybe he comes back this week. Maybe it's the national championship. He had a long-term kind of ankle injury that he suffered, I think, early November, if, I, if my timeline's correct. So we'll see whether or not he comes back. Something to think about because he's a big bruising type of running back that could help them if they if they get in another one of those situations. All right. Well, we come to it then, Greg, after all the buildup for it. 6.30 Eastern time on ESPNU. That's 4.30 Central. Uh, excuse me, 4.30 Mountain if you are looking for it in either Utah, Montana, or, well, the Central time zone. But what do you think happens? Well, give me a final score in this game. James Madison, obviously, again, favored to win by 15 and a half and has just been one of the stalwarts nationally for the last half decade or more. Yeah, I, I do think JMU will go back to Frisco for, for the third time in, in four years. I just think with the way they're playing defense, uh, that, that, you know, it, it'd be tough. It'd be tough for, for Weber State to come to Harrisonburg and, and, and beat them. That's, that's just my take based on what James Madison's been doing defensively. Do they cover the 15-and-a-half? I, I guess I'll say yes. I guess I'll say yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we will do enough offensively. Greg, fantastic stuff. We appreciate it. Go follow Greg Medea. He's at Medea underscore DNR Sports on Twitter. Writes for the Daily News Record uh, and uh, is the beat writer for James Madison Football, among other things that he's doing over there. Greg, as always, we've appreciated it all season long. And, uh, and if JMU pulls through, maybe we get another one of these done, huh? Sounds good, guys. Anytime. All right, Coulter, we heard from Greg Medea there talking about the game. He's got the Dukes not just to win this game but to cover. And look, man, it's hard when you 
cover a team every single week, week in, week out, that's lost one game, and it was to an FBS team this whole year. They're essentially an undefeated football team who has been, as he said, the three of the last four national championships to pick against them, particularly to me when you look at Weaver State and say they're not 100%. You know, Rashid Shaheed isn't the only guy out for this team. They came through last week when they needed to against Montana, but this is a huge test on the road. I do think Weaver State will be up for this. I think Weber State covers this game, though. I think this becomes a low-scoring game. I do think Weber State is not going to get shut out of this football game. So, fifteen and a half to me is a bigger number than I think uh, it, that I would set it at, given what I have seen and what I know about Weber State, or at least what I think I know about them. But James Madison is unbelievable. I mean, they're at another level. Their athleticism across the board—not just a guy here, guy there—but really just as a team in in total. So, I certainly like James Madison and picking them to win. I I think James Madison wins by 10, maybe 14. I just think 15 and a half is too big for me to feel it. I think that the dynamic of where are you in the arc of building your program, building your or program. Yeah. what what is the accomplishment that you have accomplished? I think that I think that there's a lot of teams that say they have national championship aspirations, but who actually has a goal that you can chase to attain to win a national championship? I think that the only two programs that can definitively say that are North Dakota State and James Madison. Well, no, I don't agree with that. I mean, I think that there's plenty. I mean, I think all four teams in the semifinal, and not and not just them, can say that we have a a a possibility of winning and a real goal and a live goal. We've heard all week already from Montana State that it's a great accomplishment for our program. They've talked about the history of it. It's 35 years in the making. Same thing with Weber State. We, we th- wanted to get to this point. We wanted to raise our standard. North Coast State and James Madison, we expected to be here. Not being here would have been a failure. I think that's the difference. That is, the, that is 100% I agree with that, but I don't think that separation means that you just don't have national championship aspirations or even, quote-unquote, goals, even expectations at a certain level that you can go do this. Totally, but I think that there's just such a distinct factor of having been there before and having knowing what it takes. You don't know what it takes until you know. No, I mean, no. you're a 15.5-point underdog in a national semifinal, and you're, it's the two-versus-three team in the in the nation, I mean, there's a reason that that disparity is there. It's it's North Dakota State alone, then it's James Madison alone, and then it's everybody else, and and that is a fact. I mean, that's real. So, but I just don't think that that means well. You know, let's just fast forward to Frisco every single year and see who wins in that football game. I think that Weaver State has been consistently in the top four the last three seasons because of a lot of not flashy, glitzy factors, coaching. Special teams execution, scoring on special teams. And they have a few elite players, to be sure. Unfortunately, most of those guys are banged up. I mean, Josh Davis, who knows what his health is. Rashid Shahid, probably out. Devin Cooley hasn't really been that big of a factor the last couple weeks. And at the end of the day, Jake Constantine isn't an elite talent at quarterback. And I think that when you look at James Madison, the DNs that Greg Medea just talked all about are arguably two of the best players in the country. Game wreckers. But then they also have straight-up FBS-type talent at quarterback, at running back, at receiver. And I think that, I just think that they're as talented as we were saying it is. James Madison is just more talented. They, they just have more better players. They are. No, you're 100% right. And especially with when it's not all hands on deck for Weber State. So 
What do you got? I think that I think that James Madison is going to roll in this game. Okay. I think that there's a chance for Weber State to. You don't want to say let down because they they don't really have letdowns. That because Jay Hill's such a great coach. Well, I just think that they have a chance to really sputter and just not look very good. They didn't look good last week, and they still figure out a way to win. But I just think that going across the country after having an emotional revenge fueled victory a week ago against a conference rival that you were familiar with. It's going to be really hard to carry in momentum. I mean, we were saying has not looked like world beaters so far in this playoffs. They've won their two games by a total of 13 points. James Madison played not very well offensively last week, and they still won by 17 points. So, But, I, but you tell me all the time what? Jay Hill doesn't care. No, he How? doesn't. Right? He doesn't. This is, that's the point, though. I think that Weber State can lure every team in America into playing a, a dirty, gross, ugly Ten to three type game, not James Madison. Yeah, well, I, I just think that James Madison has superior athletes all over the place, and they're going to know how to mitigate Weber State's. So what do you think? Twenty one points. I mean, I I think James Madison's going to cover. I don't know. I mean, I think that fifteen and a half is a pretty good number. If it was twenty four to seven, uh, you know, that wouldn't surprise me. Well, happy now to welcome into FCS Speculators a betting podcast. Jeff Colhane, who is the uh, play-by-play announcer, the voice of the North Dakota State Bison. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. How are you? Doing great, guys. It's a pleasure to be on. How are you doing? We're doing we're doing outstanding. We're happy to have you here. Just tell the people how long you've been the voice of the Bison and uh, and and where they can find you and all that kind of stuff on Twitter and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. It's my fourth year here uh, at NDSU and um, four seasons. Uh, hosting uh, local talk shows here, program director for our flagship uh, radio station for NDSU Athletics, Bison 1660. can download the app for free if you want to listen to any of our shows. We had Dan Davies on the other day and also Jason Alvine. So that's a little Montana State flavor this week on our programs and obviously talking a ton about the game. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff. Paul Hain is where you find me in the Twitterverse. Fantastic. And we'll uh, we'll revisit all of that a little later on. But what we have obviously plenty to talk about about this game specifically, but I want to get your perspective. You know, you're in your fourth year here with the Bison. Uh, it hasn't been going that well in your time, obviously. <laughs> it must have been, I don't know, it's like a bad luck charm or something, Jeff, coming in here. But, uh, I mean, obviously they just, they just continue to roll, and it seems like it doesn't matter. Uh, you know who's who's coaching, who's playing. It's just win after win for the Bison. But w- what have you seen a difference uh, in in anything just stylistically or feel with the program in this year with with you know a new head coach uh, in you know in his first season and a new quarterback in his first season? No, I think the biggest difference that I have seen, and it's not a huge difference, but certainly. It tells you, I think, a little bit more about Matt Entz as a coach is uh, I think this football team has been even more physical, if that is is possible, Um, and they have been more aggressive from a standpoint of making teams uh, defend them all the time. And what I mean by that is uh, I think this team has been uh, more of a big play offense during the year. Uh, you've seen on special teams that uh, Matt Entz wants to put things on film that is going that, that are you know going to create an extra 
maybe 10, 15 minutes of practice time dedicated to things that you don't want to worry about that you have to think about because it's been done on the field. And um, you'll see NDSU go to a swinging gate look after touchdowns to uh, maybe go for two, maybe not. Uh, Those are little subtle things that the Bison had not done uh, in years past. Uh, He, you know, one of the first things he told me was, Jeff, we want to make teams defend us all the time. We don't want to let people off of the hook. Um, So I think that's one of the subtle things that I've noticed. And, uh, it's it's truly remarkable what these guys have been able to accomplish here this decade. I mean, from Craig Bowl to Chris Kleiman and now to Matt Ant, like you mentioned, you know, sometimes when you use the term plug and play, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a slight to a certain degree, but it, that's been the reality because of uh, the the term is you know culture. It sometimes is a a word that's maybe overused, but how this program goes about its business, the way the players police themselves and coach themselves on and off the field uh, is truly something I've never seen before, and I think it ha- has a huge effect on why this team is as successful as it is. Jeff Choate, in his press conference for Montana State the other day, said exactly that. He said, NDSU's a machine, and it seems like it doesn't matter if it's Craig Bull or Chris Kleiman or Matt Entz. It doesn't matter if it's Brock Jensen, Carson Wentz, Easton Stick, or Trey Lance. The thing just keeps on rolling, but the one position he really did give a ton of credit to, which as we know anybody that follows North Dakota State, the offensive front. But these guys, I remember watching them warm up in Fargo, or excuse me, in Frisco last year. I went to the national championship game. It's It basically is Fargo when you go to Frisco these days. It's <laughs> yeah. Fargo yeah. South. But uh, just the sheer number of guys that you can tell instantly by looking at them that they're dudes. I mean, they have guys that are warming up with the third-team offensive line that look like some of Montana State's guys, and Montana State has the best offensive line in the Big Sky right. Conference. How have they been able to recruit this this level of offensive linemen, and how important is that to their success? Yeah, I think it's it's the benchmarks, like Coach Choate mentioned during his press conference uh, earlier on Monday. I, I really do. I think it's the position, it's the one position group that you'll never have to worry about as a Bison fan because of the way it's recruited, the way it's developed, and the way these guys work. Uh, in the weight room and with, you know, nutrition staffs, etc. Uh, it's they, they've got it down to a science, and it's it's pretty impressive to see these guys roll out and the expectation they have of, of wanting to play the way they do and dominating the line of scrimmage, and that's going to be a huge part of this game on Saturday. Uh, Montana State has done a fantastic job up front. Have a lot of respect for their defensive line. Uh, with with the group they have there, I mean Bryce Sturck, Derek Marks. I mean those guys uh, are outstanding players. They've been very very good, and I think the scheme is one as well that is uh, it, it is strong. The way it is uh, drawn up and and how these guys play. Jason Scrimpos, the the Washington transfer, just to name a few. So you know that's going to be a big part of the game on both sides. Both teams want to run the football. But I'll throw a name out that maybe is a little bit off the radar here for uh, your listeners, and his name is Jim Kramer, and he is our head strength coach basically here and has been around for uh, quite a while. Uh, He just has a knack, guys, for identifying high school juniors and seniors, their body types at each position of the offensive line, and then making the decision and helping our coaches decide if physically – these guys are the right match for uh, playing up front here at NDSU. It's almost like a, a Westworld 
type of thing with developing these guys. It's kind of kind of crazy, but uh, it's a great great group, and uh, they've got the right mentality, and they've had great coaching as well along the way. How long has Kramer been there? Oh, I want to say early two thousand. So he's been there through uh, this uh, this entire through. run. Correct. That yep. is the greatest yep. thing that anybody's ever told me because that points so much to it. I think that that's a lost factor in this because kids hang out with the strength coach more than anybody, right? That's the only coach they can have contact with year-round. Yep. The fact that they've had the same guy through this whole run, that makes this entire thing make more sense to well, me. Well, and it's so interesting, too, to me, Coulter, is that you know the the offensive line, both lines, but the offensive line especially, they're the group that always says, you know, nobody cares about us, we don't get any shine, and so they turn internally off it and become, mm-hmm. you know, it's the band of brothers thing and all of that, but also the baton that gets passed from year to year and class to class at that position, I think is pretty unique, you know, and, and so I think it is, it's almost a a team within a team sometimes when you talk about that offensive line and if if you have a group ahead of you that is doing it the right way the likelihood that that will infect I mean we know that's true team-wide but especially at that position uh, and especially when you're in the Midwest and you got a bunch of corn-fed dudes running around yeah. on the farms that could come in and move some people around I mean it's a big deal so I think you know Jeff you're absolutely right obviously and that that's a fact but I mean to think about that a little more uh, in depth as to why that continues to be the case is, is uh, you know, is pretty interesting to me. Well, you know, and, and um, it, it's, the you know, National Signing Day, as we're talking right now, recruiting is the lifeblood of every football program. Uh, the offensive line room is the heartbeat of NDSU's football program, and they've, they've been dubbed, uh, their nickname is the Rams. Uh, it's, they've, they've got an identity about them, um, and, you know, you, you, you mentioned – uh, where they come from, and there are a lot of small-town kids from North Dakota and Minnesota, I think much like the Montana schools as well, that grow up watching the Bison and wanting to play for North Dakota State. And you look at the, the starting five for NDSU, Dylan Radons is an All-American from small-town Becker, Minnesota. Carson Schooning is a, an honorable mention all-conference center from a small, small town in Rolla, North Dakota, up near the Canadian border. Uh, Zach Johnson is, is a little unique. He's from the Twin Cities, as is Nass Jensen. And then Cordell Volson, the right tackle, uh, both those guys, all Valley guys and all American caliber players. He's from a town, if you Google Balfour, North Dakota, I believe the population is 25. So <laughs> it, it, it's just sort of the way it's, it's set up and, not necessarily guys that are, are star high school recruits. You know, Joe Haig, who's playing for the Indianapolis Colts, was a walk-on from Brainerd, Minnesota. Um, you know, and so it's, it's really interesting how these guys are identified, how they work, and, and certainly the um, pride they take in carrying on the tradition of playing offensive line here at North Dakota State. Jeff, I want to take you back now to last week uh, for for NDSU. They played uh, an, an Illinois State team that was was pretty ready to go, especially defensively. And this is a team that during the regular season, I think North Dakota State won like thirty eight to seven or something like that uh, early in the season. Obviously, two months after the fact, they're two very different teams, but. 
not scoring a touchdown in that game, grinding out a 9-3 victory. Was there anything that you saw in there where you're like, okay, you know, this is this was a little bit, you know, it's an odd game anyways, but but where you, you saw, you know, Illinois State maybe find something, especially defensively in that game? Yeah, a couple of things. I thought Illinois State had a great plan on defense, and, and their head coach, uh, Brock Spack, uh, was the defensive coordinator at Purdue under Joe Tiller when Drew Brees was the quarterback there, and they were playing for Rose Bowls in the early 2000s. And he's got pedigree. He's a tremendous coach. And you mentioned it earlier, uh, NDSU went into Illinois State October 5th and beat Illinois State 37-3 to at their place in front of a sold-out crowd. I mean, it was a dismantling and uh, a dominant effort, and it left a, a very sour taste in the mouth of the Redbirds, and rightly so. Uh, they were ready to play. Now, I, I knew we were going to have a, a game that was going to be much different than the first one. Uh, I did not realize it was going to be a 9-3 to game with no touchdown score. Right. But um, give them a ton of credit. I, I think a couple of things, guys. I think Illinois State's plan was outstanding. I thought they had a great scheme. They brought uh, players from different areas on the field, and they also um, identified some things, I thought, where they realized that NDSU was going to run the football out of certain formations and they would bring a backside corner or a backside linebacker crashing down to try and chase the play down from the backside. And it worked. Uh, it really did. And so I thought that was a good plan. But on the flip side of it, I think North Dakota State, uh, at some point during the game, probably in the third quarter, made the cognizant decision that we don't need to do anything, uh, you know, electric on offense today to win. Uh, we don't need to throw the ball a bunch of times. You know, we don't need to turn it over or create problems. The clock is on our side, knowing that Illinois State was one-dimensional. They couldn't throw the football. Yeah. Um, James Robinson was their guy, and the Bison did a really good job on him as well. He had a 30-yard run in the first quarter. I believe, believe he ran for 58 yards in the first quarter, first quarter of a, and a half and was held to 94 for the total on the day. So did a really good job on him. And uh, as, you know, people talk about how the game was tight, and obviously it was. I I thought NDSU played the game knowing how the flow of the game was being played and and realizing all you got to do is find a way to win. And I think that's how uh, the Bison went about it with play calling uh, on the offensive side of the football. They did go conservative. They probably could have been a little bit more aggressive at times, uh, but they this made the decision that's how they wanted to go about it. And, and here they are today getting ready to play for a chance to go back to Frisco, Texas. Well, here's a tidbit for your broadcast, Jeff. Joe Tiller I love ac- it. actually played at Montana State and was a coach at Montana State in the early 1960s before his career launched and uh, had great stints at both Wyoming and Purdue. So uh, Joe Tiller was always a good, yeah. really good to me. I loved interviewing him. He's a great guy. And so rest in peace to Joe Tiller. But, yeah. Um, yep. Montana State and North Dakota State actually have a lot of history dating back to uh, the early 1900s, honestly. And and even di- this this decade, they've crossed paths in the playoffs. This will be the third time in the 2010s that they've crossed paths in the playoffs, including last year. Uh, 2010, Montana State had a really good team, and, and North Dakota State came in, and that was sort of the first sign of things to come for NDSU. They, yeah. they made it to the quarterfinals that year before losing to Eastern Washington. But then there was the the infamous buyout where Montana State was the number two team in the country coming into the 2013 season 
North Dakota State had won two straight national championships. They were uh, about to peak uh, in in the run under Craig Bull. And Montana State had a game that was supposed to be the return of a home and home from a long time before, uh, a long time earlier. That then they ended up buying out and they ended up going to SMU. And if you believe in karma or not, it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen because after dodging NDSU and going to SMU on the last play of the game, Montana State's All-American quarterback Denarius McGee was somehow on the field during an onside kick turned into a hook and ladder. <laughs> and dislocated his shoulder, and it sent what was supposed to be an all-time great Bobcat team into a state of disarray. They lost their starting quarterback, and by the end of the second month of the year, they're starting running back, they're starting receiver, they're starting defensive end. They were all out, and this team that was three-time defending Big Sky champs missed the playoffs. But I want to ask you, Jeff, have you heard about uh, just the scuttle around the buyout? Because I know last time I was in Fargo and the last time I was even in Grand Forks, people were talking about, oh, Montana State, the team that dodged the Bison once upon a time. Does that Do the feelings of, of that buyout still linger? Well, I, I don't think quite as, as prevalently as before uh, because that game, if I recall correctly, it was a buyout really, really late. Really in the late, yep. as well. And so NDSU was tasked to play a D2 team here on the schedule. I think it was Ferris State from Michigan that had to come in here and play and was, you know, uh, well, slaughter here. Uh, <laughs> had to come get sacrificed, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, lambs to the slaughter in 2013. But, um, no, I, I think that you hear it every once in a while. Um, but by no means is it something that I, that I think the fans hang on uh, or – uh, wish any ill will towards Montana State. I, you know, from from that point in time, uh, some good things have happened for NDSU since that point. So uh, <laughs> right. the, the Bison, I think, have been able. The fan base has been able to move on. Now, if North Dakota State would have, you know, who knows if Montana State would have went on to win uh, a national title or or beaten the Bison in the playoffs one of those years, then sure, I think maybe that would continue to be a talking point. But uh, at the time. I know the administration was probably not too excited about that decision, um, but you know, uh, you you do those things. Uh, I think with with dollar signs in your eyes, I would guess when you make those choices. So um, since that point, you know, I, I don't think it is a, a huge uh, connection or talking piece. But uh, yeah, every once in a while, you might hear it brought up here or there, just just to uh, remind folks of what happened back then. Jeff, let's let's fast forward to the more recent history. I, th- I thought it was interesting, you know, the, the dismantling that you talked about that Illinois State experienced earlier this year and the bitter taste that they had in wanting to redeem themselves to to some extent, you know, with the, with another opportunity. And I think going back a little further, that's exactly how Montana State feels. I mean, they, they felt like they had a pretty good team last year, didn't play their best, and also ran into a, just, I mean, the best team in the country, bar none, and – and I think, uh, as Jeff Choate said earlier this week, they've seen the elephant is the way that he put it. You know, having played in Fargo against uh, NDSU in a 52-10 dismantling in the playoffs last year, and that still lingers with a lot of these kids as a senior-laden team, as you know, uh, for Montana State. So when you look at 
that aspect of it of you know anytime you're in a national semifinal both teams are going to be ready to go both teams are going to be excited to play but there is uh you know this isn't just happening almost like you know it's two teams coming out of nowhere these two teams have played each other and there's a lot more guys I think in Montana State now that sort of remember that because so many guys did graduate from NDSU last year and that that want to that felt maybe a little embarrassed about what happened and want to change that narrative what do you think about that aspect of this game oh i think it's i think it's certainly there's a lot of comparables right to the illinois state game i mean uh montana state i think came in last year and it was a measuring stick for them they uh were taking the next step under jeff Choate, and coach Choate has done outstanding things there obviously with success and certainly beating the grizz four straight years he's really breathed new life into the program and quite honestly and it's it's just reality they weren't ready a year ago for that um you know 52 to 10 um they got pushed around you talk about physicality and and the line of scrimmage they weren't ready yet i mean seven rushing touchdowns allowed three 100 yard rushers 400 yards rushing i mean it just uh, it wasn't there that day for them so with, with to your point i think it's a big deal and uh, you look at the history of matchups for NDSU this last decade. You go back to 2011 and 2012, the Bison played Georgia Southern here in the semis two consecutive years. Year one, it was a blowout. Year two, it was a dogfight. And then uh, in the following years, they took on Coastal Carolina back-to-back years in the postseason. Year one, it was a blowout. Year two, it was an absolute dogfight. So uh, you're seeing a trend there, right. and I think there's a lot to it. I think Montana State is a better team. I think they realize that if we want to be able to have a chance to play at an elite level in our division, we've got to get better along the line of scrimmage. They're more experienced. Tucker Robig has come in and solidified that quarterback position that was in limbo earlier in the year. So absolutely. I mean, I, the motivation's there. Uh, the, the way they need to play is obviously there as well. And so I think that's a huge factor and a huge talking point for Saturday. Well, let's talk about the game specifically just on the field then. When you talk, I mean, we know, you know, keys to games in terms of turnovers and, you know, who's going to win up front and all that kind of thing. What's something that you're looking for, and particularly, you know, in the setting of this podcast, when you talk about the style of play and the expectations? Right now, NDSU a 17 point favorite at home. It opened at 15 or 15 and a half, and this um, right. number has moved a little bit in the direction of the Bison. So, when you think about okay, this this thing against the number and and how you expect it to play out, what do you see? Well, I think start is very important. Um, for Montana State and for NDSU, quite honestly. You know, the Bison have not been uh, quite as efficient offensively the last few games, and that's just simply the reality of of the situation. Uh, I think start is very important uh, for both teams. You look at the one team that has come into the Fargo Dome and won against North Dakota State, it was James Madison back in the semifinals in 2016. And in that game, JMU uh, jumped out to a 17 nothing lead in that contest, and it was, it was uh, just a complete shocker. And that was a team that won the national championship that year and had the best player on the field in Khalid Abdullah. So um, I know Montana State wants to run the football. Uh, it will also be interesting to see how uh, the Bobcats 
utilize their talent. They're not afraid to go to the Wildcat. They're not afraid to have multiple guys take snaps in the shotgun or, or behind center. Um, they're not afraid to throw trick plays out there. We've seen uh, uh, Jason Scrimpos with a couple of touchdown catches this year, uh, from one from Isaiah Fonse last week against Austin P. So start is very important in this game. And then the other thing, can Montana State truly run the football on NDSU? Because if they can't, that means that you're going to put a lot of, of pressure on Tucker Rovick to make a lot of throws. And I think he has the capability of doing that, but NDSU is number one in the country in pass defense and has not allowed over 100 yards passing in a game in the last four. So, um, you know, will Montana State physically be able to go toe-to-toe with the Bison for 60 minutes? Uh, If so, we're going to have a heck of a game. Uh, If they struggle to run the ball, I think it's really going to make life uh, very difficult on them if they need to go to the air more than they want to. All right, the moment of truth for you here, Jeff. When you talk about this game, not against, not not who's going to win it. I think everybody understands who's favored here and all that. But what do you think about the seventeen points? Who do you like with that number on Saturday <laughs> at, at one? Oh man, you want to go? We're going the point spreader out here, huh? I suppose that's the name of the game with the podcast. So, yeah. Um, you know, I it's it's an it's a good number. Uh, they're always good numbers, right? Uh, <laughs> last week, I thought the number was. Uh, a little bit too big, honestly. Uh, people, people were asking me that question last week, and I, I thought we would have a much better game than what the experts were saying. Uh, I'll say this. I think the number is, is pretty close to, to where I think the game is going to be played So you're at. saying stay and away is what you're saying. Go find some other say, game. <laughs> I, I would say enjoy yourself on Saturday. Yeah. Christmas shopping and, and save that money. But – no, I, I, here, here's my thought on it. Look, there's a lot of people that are, are making a lot of noise. And, and look, the trends are there the last few weeks about NDSU's perceived lack to stop the run or, or inability to run the football. This is still a Bison offense that's averaging nearly 40 points per game. And on the flip side, a Bison defense, regardless of how many yards they've given up, those teams, the last three games, have scored seven, uh, 13, and three points overall. Right. So you might be able to move the ball a little bit and put some numbers up, but teams are not scoring the football on this defense. So uh, with, with a sold-out Fargo Dome and a trip to Frisco on the line with the talent this football team has at NDSU, uh, I think you're looking at uh, a game that is going to be right around that number, in my opinion. Jeff Colhane, he is the voice of the Bison at Jeff Colhane on Twitter, and also available uh, on six sixteen sixty. Where do you where do people listen to you at Radio FM Media as well? Yeah, yeah, you can you can download the Bison sixteen sixty app free to download. I'd go there noon. Saturday in the Mountain Time Zone, 1 o'clock local in Fargo. It's on ESPN2. And listen to Jeff as well. Jeff, this was great, man. We really appreciate you joining us here on the pod. Guys, a lot of fun. Anytime. Give me a call. Appreciate it. You got it. Have fun Saturday. Hi, this is David Graff, the producer of FCS Speculators. I want to say thank you to Jeff Colhane and Greg Medea for joining us this week. Don't forget to check out ESPN Missoula on Twitter and Instagram at 1029ESPN. I also want to say thank you 
to our listeners. Thank you for listening to us all season long. I hope your wagers these last few weeks hit easily, and I hope you have a happy holiday season. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.